Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are my journals out loud. So we're just going to start with a deep breath because we're going to go in with our nose, keeping our mouth closed, and really dig out that old crappy air and exhale. You can exhale through your nose or your mouth and just really give everything a good wash. And I say that because this morning when I exited, I go out like at 4, 4.30 to take the dogs out. And I came back in and I opened the door and the stink hit me in the face. Uh, my air is very gross because I'm in a tiny space. Hopefully yours is not, but it's always a good idea to get some fresh air outside and clean out that old stinky air that's deep in our lungs. And uh, I'm going to relate that in a minute as we parallel into uh, digging out what's within us with a good breath of fresh. But before we do that, if you are new, uh, like I said, my name is Jill. Uh, I talk about things that I journal about because all my best stuff is going to die in my journal. So this is my attempt to get some of that out. And I focus on what I called wire for danger. But the real issue is, is how are we best going to manage our nervous system? And what's been developing for me, and for those of you who are long-term hearing me talk about this, is what I think I'm going to be calling this language of energy. And I am starting to see it as in the same way that uh, sign language facilitated the deaf being able to communicate. I think this understanding of communication and energy and putting a language with it, I think is going to be a really powerful thing. It may too die in my journals, but if you're listening, you will at least have gotten a little nudge into that world. And if I've learned anything over my uh, long-term life here is that all my best ideas, I may not bring forward out into the world, but somebody else always does. And the reason it's so powerful is it is nonverbal. And as we know, 70 to even 90% of our language is nonverbal. And if there's anything going on right now that's more important as crises is this complete inability to communicate. And the breakdown, what happens when we can't communicate because we get more and more fearful when we're recognizing that other person isn't hearing us or understanding us and is charging forward and even more fearful when the outcomes of that person charging forward and what they're doing has on us individually. And for those of us who are living in the Western part of the world or Western civilization, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, America, Canada, we are being pushed into a world that nobody wants and feeling wildly helpless to pull back and to get out of it. And that is very scary. And one of the things that I've also started speaking to is this sense of being safe because, you know, as I have uh, done some alternative research trying to understand what's important to women, because at the end of my 
mind's journey where I want to end up at the, at this project that I've got brewing in my head is I need to have women who are older that want to hear about stuff that's important to the future of girls, which you cannot get people's attention on because it's not an immediate issue. And it's not a language that anybody is comfortable with and wants to understand. And what's come out again and again and again is that the thing that's the biggest issue for most women is safety. And the block to feeling safe or being safe is the lack of self-awareness. Now, I could say that and people could go, "Uh uh-huh, and then it just gets dismissed because it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have a a grip unless there's something that you're in the middle of and you want to hold on to. And there's a thousand things around that. And and one of the reasons I get frustrated is I have, you know, encyclopedias of information and un- insight that I want to share and no capacity to organize, function, and produce in a way that in a different kind of world, you know, I would just write, I would have an editor, they would keep me organized, somebody else would publish. You know, in a perfect world, I wouldn't have to do all these pieces that I'm not good at. And so, you know, my great hardship, which I don't see my physical life as my hardship, I see my hardship is the way I work on the inside, the limitations of my brain and my body. And to that end is my struggle. But it doesn't mean that the information isn't valid. And I am so grateful for those of you who have pitched in this last month. Thank you. And I am so grateful that anybody listens and gets uh, seeds planted because you don't have to have millions of people hearing. It just has to be one second person, two or more gathered. When two people can light on the same idea in agreement, that's what empowers it and it plants it in the ethers and it grows from there. And like I said, I'm old enough now to know that the idea isn't mine. The idea is just information that has been extracted and mold and thought about and then replanted back in the ethers. And while I haven't been able to bring it to fruition, somebody else has. So I don't talk about this as if I have something special all by myself. I just have a brain that extracts information or a mind in specific ways. And at this point, I think that I am finding a way to express it that might be able to resonate with people who are more like me. Now, we'll see what happens. But uh, along those lines, a couple things have happened. So uh, I wanted to just go over a couple experiences I had that really highlight what the meat of this, what I want it to be about. But uh, before we do that, I also wanted to speak to, um, well, I just lost that thought. Okay, a couple things. One, uh, you know, you're hearing me start to talk about men and women and masculine and feminine, and that's part of this language of energy. And so before I move forward, I want to be really clear that there's a difference between men as biology and women, female biology, and then the feminine energy and the masculine energy. So we all have both within us and 
what I think is happening right now is that the pendulum has swung. Women have become over-masculinated. Men have become over-feminized. And now we are collectively reorganizing the energies within us to decide how we want to move forward. So what we're seeing with this biological transgenderism is really a perversion of what's happening to us internally because the energy is is uh, in both of us. We all have masculine energy and feminine energy. Uh, but in order for the species to survive, right, we have to go by our biology. And what I've seen kind of what I'm calling now orchestrated evil do is invert the good in a negative way. And that's what makes these conversations so difficult because uh, when you speak about truth, there's the truth as God, love, all that is would would uh, use it. And then there's the truth of that same principle applied as evil, darkness, uh, negativity would use it. And that's what I see this transgenderism is, is that uh, you know, there's always been people who've been a little bit mixed up, and that's very different than what we're seeing happen right now. And so in the same way that I think we're in the process as human is reintegrating the masculine and feminine within us, we're seeing the perversion of that in terms of trying to do it biologically, which we're not meant to do. It's very different managing your energies versus cutting body parts off. And that's the perversion and the inversion. And that is the tragedy. But if we step back, I think what's happening is that all of us are trying to make some decisions about who we want to be and how we want to be in the world. And, uh, you know, one of the comments, which I appreciate you guys' comments on this last podcast, is that... It, it's the masculine energy that wants to conquer and control, uh, not so much men, because, I mean, men are, are more masculine, so you see that. But, you know, historically, as you know, I'm into all these his biographies right now, that women in power have done the exact same thing. And that's where, you know, men get all excited and say, see, it's not women are worse. But really, it's the masculine energy within the woman that she has to employ to survive, whether it's to survive as a power in a country. I'm thinking of uh, Bodica, uh, and who was extremely violent and, and just very much like a male leader, which was born from the tragedy that was inflicted on her by Rome, what Rome did to her and to her family and her daughters and her people. And so it's just a cycle that continues and pointing fingers never accomplishes anything. And what we're really seeing right now is when men don't tap into their masculine energy and they're over-feminized right now, is they yell. All this yelling that men are doing and pointing fingers and blaming and uh, women, and, you know, bitching about everybody and not doing anything 
that's men in their feminine energy. And what happens biologically for a man is when he talks about something, but he doesn't take action to resolve it, he converts his, his testosterone to estrogen. And that's him being, that's men being feminized. And because they hate that within themselves, they rage at the women. But when men enter their feminine energy, women have to overcompensate and enter their masculine energy because work needs to get done, period. And so we're in this wildly imbalanced area right now. And, you know, the, the collective global solution, I believe, is women collectively, we're going to have to step back out of our masculine energy and let the chips fall. And men will either rise up in their masculine and take action, or we're all going down with the ship. My fear, and, and this is where my work will go forward, is things will go back to the way they were, where uh, it is a hierarchical, patriarchal society. And you know, where I'm standing from, it's like that horse is out of the barn. Women are not going to easily go back into being barefoot and pregnant and stay at home. But there is, we're in a struggle for that. So what's happening in the crisis right now is a lot of finger pointing and a lot of inaction and a lot of fear. And so there's a lot in the soup, but we're a long way from how this all resolves. And so we don't know what the world is going to look like. We're just in that deconstruction process, which is masculine energy, before we enter reconstruction process, which is feminine energy. And so part of the power of this idea of speaking to energy, not words, not events, not actions, is when you understand how it feels, it makes sense. And most women are more connected to how they feel. We're wired that way. Our brain is wired that way. We have connections that most men don't have. And so what is simple and easy for us can be complex for them in the same way that men are better at separating action from emotion. And, you know, where I'm really moving to is this idea is that, you know, when we're, we've switched roles, we've switched energies, and now we need to switch back. And, you know, women are powerful in their emotions, but we've been, we're being demonized about them. Men are powerful in their ability to separate fact from emotion, which is what the justice system is. You do not want an emotional justice system because we are witnessing what happens when we use power over others to to uh, accommodate our emotional insecurity. So we're seeing that with the quote-unquote left, right? Let's put the people who are fighting for freedom in jail. Let's let the criminals out because they're reacting to all of that emotionally, which is their feminine. So we don't want feminine energy driving the justice system. We want it tempering. So you want justice with fact, reason, and logic, but you want it tempered, which is why you want women on the jury, 
to have compassion. You know, the origin of the jury was 12 people of your peers, which meant the people knew you. They knew if you were a good person. So if you had something happen that was just a freak mistake and the the facts looked like you had done something terrible, but because the people knew you, they knew that that was never your intention. They could judge you accordingly. What we're doing now is just an atrocity of the entire process. And in the same way that I'm moving towards this idea that women are responsible for peace because peace is powerful in its emotion. Peace is not logic, reason, and analytical. You can't analyze the idea that we should have peace. It is a powerful heart-centered feeling, and it's not a passive conflict-fearing state of avoidance. And so we're in this terrible middle place, I think, where we're reintegrating our masculine and feminine energy within us. And what we're seeing is the fallout because we're all in a different place on how we can deal with that. And so, you know, when I'm complaining about being in my masculine energy, uh, I'm creating these awarenesses of what's happened, why it's happened, And I always believe that when you have experience, it is much more intense in terms of learning and understanding than the intellectualization. And I'm going to use that, you know, to kind of transfer into uh, the second piece of this. So uh, there's a lot going on right now. uh, And there's a lot going on for all of us individually and collectively. And it's always, you know, micro and macro are always the same thing. But at a practical level, you know, we, we can think about the macro, we can think big picture, I can sit here and have my fabulous abstract thinking, which brings me joy, uh, and purpose in my mind. And then, you know, I gotta take the dogs out to go pee, right? So I mean, there's the, the abstract, the philosophical, the collective, the world, and then there's, you know, all of us having to do basic survival day in and day out. And those two are often in conflict with each other, especially if you are, as I say, aware for danger person, where you want to be part of the world, you want to be part of saving, helping, uh, doing the right thing. Uh, And the reality that all those things that go with that. So you are catching me, you know, as I'm sharing all these things, you know, as I'm processing these great big ideas and, uh, and my failure is my ability to focus and communicate and edit and organize and produce. And that is, you know, partially because, you know, that's the way I'm wired. I'm not wired to do all those things well. Uh, We're in a world where we used to have a structure and a system. You were a writer. You weren't a podcaster, a video maker, blah, blah, blah. You were just a writer. And I write, I'm a good writer. And that's a tragedy that I probably ever left that behind. But, you know, I'm aware this morning about how diversified I am and all these different things. And uh, I probably wouldn't have been better off to just pick one and stick with it. But in a I remember reading a post by a guy who wrote books. I don't remember his name, but his books were about dogs. And he was in the heyday when he was a celebrated author. And all he had to do was write his books. The publishing house, you know, the editor, they would 
organize his tour, you know, his book tour. They'd come pick him up in a limousine. He was wined and dined. And then it all fell apart. And he was, you know, speaking to the fact now he's sitting at home having to do Facebook posts three times a day, drive himself and organize his own book tour, desperately pleading for people to buy his book while having to produce endless amounts of free content hoping somebody will actually put up and buy a book. And so we've transitioned into this world that that we had on how to organize and share information. And now we're in this place where we want one person to do everything. And the people that the publishing houses pick are often, you know, the uh, propaganda. Same thing with video. We see that with YouTube. You know, it's very much controlled Uh, And so, yeah, there's always people who break out, but it's a very complex world. And so I don't do well in that kind of system. I can understand it, but that's my great hardship is I can't function within that system very well. And, you know, I guess the great tragedy will be we'll all die there. But regardless of that, uh, what I wanted to do with the second half of this is Uh, So that, what I just shared you, is the big practical abstraction. Like, oh, that's interesting. All these things are happening. So how does that apply day in and day out? And so uh, I had kind of a hard day the other day. And um, so it's been, you know, really nice, but we have weather coming. So uh, I had been uh, packing up because I wanted to go get food and stuff before the the weather came. And so uh, at some point the dogs saw the coyote, you know, I had them off their leash because they've been pretty good about staying close. And she, the girl dog, just, it has a much wider perimeter than the boy dog. But she saw the coyote and then the two of them, like they ran and not just to the perimeter, which they've been doing and then come back. No, they were gone. And so, uh, and this is also a lesson in safety that we'll be talking about. So I have on these rubber boots that I wear uh, because, you know, I started doing that because of the snakes and the mud and the dust and they're cheap. And no matter how expensive or cheap my rubber boots are, they always last a year. So I just get the $20 Walmart ones now, but they don't ever fit 100%. And so it's fine if I'm shuffling around the truck or in the mud, but I can't, you know, walk distances in them because, you know, my... And in this environment, there's lots of rocks. And so you it's really easy to lose your footing and tumble as long, you know, I can go slow. And, you know, I have this leg thing, so I don't run at all anymore. But anyway, so I'm panicking because where I'm parked behind me is a wash and it's, you know, it has nice sand and it's a great place to walk, but it's covered with vegetation and trees. You can't see anywhere in that wash. So it's very private. And then lots of people drive up and down that with their dune buggy thing. So they're across the wash on the other side. And I can't see where they are. I don't know where they are. I'm doing my little whistle thing. I do two short ones, beep, beep, you know, when I'm trying to get them. Sometimes they come back. This time they did not. And I can hear either a dog or a coyote making a noise that you don't want to hear. And so somebody's getting bit or is in a fear of being bit. And for those of you who don't know, Coyotes often do this thing where one will lead a dog into the pack. Uh, I think this is just a lone coyote because I see it go back and forth. I've never seen a pack, although I can hear them in the distance. But I don't know if it's 
uh, my dog or the coyote that's making this noise, I can't see them, right? So I'm panicking as I'm stumbling around and I tried to run. That was a mistake. And so now I'm just frustrated. So the girl dog finally finds me, which is a miracle because she always gets lost and I can't find the boy dog and I hear more scuffling. So I know something bad is happening or I'm picturing something bad is happening you know and then you do the whole thing in your head like what if he's hurt you know there's no vet there's nowhere to go so you're having right it was a Saturday afternoon you know so I'm having this whole thing in my head Uh, Phoenix is a couple hours away you know this whole thing and so finally he comes back to me and he looks like he's limping but I don't see any blood or anything so um, you know, leash them up. You guys are in prison forever, right? That's me overreacting. So, you know, I haul them back and, you know, settle down and pack up because my plan was to get out first thing in the morning. And so everything's ready to go. And it'll take me, you know, five, 10 minutes in the morning to just do the last two or three things and then take off. So the sun is set, you know, we've been out for our last go to the bathroom with the dogs uh, I'm sitting inside. Luckily, I haven't taken my pants off yet, right? I haven't like bedded down, even though it's only like six something. Uh, and I hear a vehicle and I've got covers in all my windows. So I can't see anything outside once I'm inside to keep the the sun out and for privacy because there's nothing like turning a light on inside your vehicle and everybody can see in right at night. So I have all the windows covered so I can't see anything. And I hear these the vehicle noise all the time because these dune buggies are going around, trucks are going around. But it sounds like it keeps getting closer and closer. And then it sounds really close. And so, all right, maybe I should take a look. So I open the door because typically I open the door and get up on my stool and check the perimeter. Somebody pulls up right next to me in one of these dune buggies and it's a guy. And then I see, okay, he's with his wife and he has his dog in the car. So he's probably not dangerous, but, and he's, you know, respectfully, you know, 15 feet back. And I open the door and I don't get out of the truck. I just swing my legs out. I said, can I help you? I'm like, why the hell are you here? And the first thing he says to me is, are you alone? I'm like, excuse me? Because <laughs> are you alone? And no, and his wife isn't saying that she's just sitting there passively next to him. Uh, and I'm, you know, and I'm, flustered because like first of all what is this guy doing and why is he asking me this question and I point to the dogs and I said no and he said well do you have anybody else with you and I'm like what what is it that you're trying to say to me and eventually you know he says the story to me is that you know this today which I found out was in the morning I thought it had been more recently uh, there were six illegal people they dropped off at the family dollar and uh Somehow they got there. I didn't understand the whole story. The Border Patrol had captured three of them, but there was three more running loose in the desert that they hadn't found yet. And he was concerned because he saw my truck. And I'm a distance. I mean, I'm like, you can't see me from the road. And I'm in this little depressed area next to a wash where there's lots of places to hide, right? Uh, because I have felt safe in my little bubble here. And Uh, He says, well, I just want to let you know, you know, these three guys are out running around and they're going to be looking for a way out tonight. Uh, And I just wanted to, you know, give you a heads up because you don't look that safe back here. 
And so, you know, we talked a little bit more. I said, well, thank you. You know, I appreciate you telling me. And then he, you know, turned his car back on and or buggy back on and, you know, put it out of here. And so, you know, I'm now I have to make a decision because I'm shut down mentally for the night and I don't want to figure out how to go drive myself someplace else. But, you know, I, I go through the whole thing statistically, right? Almost zero chance I'm going to have anything happen to me. But let's just review, review the universe here. So I'm not only packed up and ready to go, but this guy has gone way out of his way, like almost 10 hours after the event. He's still out, you know, in the perimeter and sees me out here and comes out because he's concerned. He doesn't even know it's me in here. He just sees the truck. He doesn't know if it's a man or a woman or anything. He's just concerned enough to go out of his way as the sun is setting to let me know, you know, to be careful. And so I thought, well, if I'm, if I'm paying attention, the universe is cueing me. So if I decide I'm fine, I don't want to think about it, and I go to bed and something happens, I got nobody to blame but myself, right? So I go ahead and, you know, I say thank you and I do the, pull everything out and just drive off to a safer place, you know, to, I, closer to, to people in the road. And I say, just as a heads up, you know, this is happening. If you hear a loud scream, that's me. Because the truth is, is if I was a bunch of guys and I saw a four-wheel drive truck sitting by itself, not pulling anything, you know, even if I didn't know who was inside, there's three of them. I mean, and how many people could really be sleeping in a truck on any given time? So if I was, you know, trying to make a getaway, I would say my vehicle is a very good getaway vehicle. So I went ahead and moved, but it really got me thinking, right? If there's three guys there's nothing I can do about it. I could never physically be safe and prevent protect myself. And, you know, they're playing that video right now of New York where these uh, six or seven, they look like little tiny teenage boys with spindly arms beating the crap out of these two cops. And so we're in this fantasy that somehow we can stay safe. And my safety bubble got super popped because uh, I'm in that same fantasy bubble. And here's really kind of the point to this whole story. And it's the same thing I've had conversations with people uh, the last couple days is this observation in both myself and my and others. And this is what I want you to take away. This is the language of energy. There's what I want. I want to be safe. I want to be alone. I want to be isolated. Uh, I want to just be by myself. Uh, I don't want to mess with you and I don't want you messing with me. That's what I want versus what's really happening here. What is the real danger? The danger is I'm alone. I'm back out here by myself. Uh, this is a very safe area overall where I'm parked, you know, just the, the broader BLM land. Uh, you know, there's no way to drive up behind me uh, in a car, but there's a whole big hiding place behind me on foot. And I hadn't thought about that. I was just aware that, you know, if a vehicle approached, I would have time to get in and turn out and drive out. Uh, and I'm familiar with the area. So I would be able to, uh, you know, get out of the way. I know where the plants are. I know where the rocks are. You know, I've been walking this area. So I have a heads up because I can 
I know where to go and how to exit. I don't have to just stay on the road. And that's the beauty of the four-wheel drive vehicle, right? And so there's what I want. I want to live in my bubble of safety. I'm, I want to just uh, not think about these things because I'm safe. And then there's the reality. And then there's the warning. Do I want to listen to his warning and do what I don't want, which is to get up and move at the end of the day as it's getting dark, you know, just to to take that extra time and get, you know, jacked up so I can't go to sleep for a while, right? Because that's, you know, it's scary. So my little adrenaline's going and then I'm, you know, quickly trying to gather all my stuff before it gets too dark to find a place to go. You know, so there's that. I don't want that versus, uh, which is real, versus, you know, what my body and my spirit want is for me to be okay. And and this is the key. This is what I'm trying to speak to. It's not what's happening. It's not the details. It's not me. It's not dogs. It's not the sky. It's not the scary men. The, sh- the, the thing I really want to communicate here is, we're going to take a deep breath, is when we are facing danger and what we want is in conflict with what the danger or the truth or the world is telling us, how we react to that is one of the great determiners as if we're going to be safe. So, you know, another example of that is, you know, my mom uh, had a uh, mountain cabin and she rented that cabin to this really creepy guy. And everybody thought she he was creepy, but she wanted him to pay her rent money so badly. I don't know what was going on with her head. She has like a terrible radar for scary men. And uh, she kept rationalizing why he was a good fit and how perfect a fit he was. So she had this whole story about why he was a good fit to rent her cabin because she wanted the money and she wanted it over. What happened was this was a bad guy who God only knows what he was going on in there. And at some point has this young girl stuck in the basement of it, locked up. I mean, it was so, I I don't know what the details were and they finally got him out. But the rest of us all had no, no, no happening. But she was so focused on what she wanted, money and the transaction completed, she wasn't willing to hear the danger part of the conversation, which would involve, you know, more stress, having to wait and patience. And that is so powerful in how we get in trouble and why so many bad things are happening right now. Because what we want is cheap food, but we're not willing to see the danger associated with, with, by choosing the easy thing and the quick thing and the tasty thing, right? What we want is cheap food. We want easily accessible food. We want variety of food. We want an indefinite uh, amount of food. The danger is that we're eating toxic chemical waste which creates devastating effects to our nutrition, to our children, to our health, to our disease processes. Because what we want is in direct conflict 
with the danger we don't want to acknowledge because it's so much more work to produce food at a local level. It's so much more expensive to produce food at a local level to buy. The positive is you have good relationships, you have good nutrition, you have good health. But what we want is cheap, easy, tasty, accessible, not having to think about it, not having to be responsible for it. Oh, I'm hungry. I'm just going to go run to the store. Uh, You know, I have that, like, you know, that was the way I was going to get food because I cook everything. And when it's raining and windy, you know, there's not a lot of cooking going on. So I thought I need to go get food that doesn't require me to cook it. And so, you know, that, that is one of the, like, I don't want to, to eat crappier food, but right now I have to because I can't cook the way I normally cook, you know, the rest of the, when it's nice out. So that's what I really want you to take away from this. When we can stop, when you can step back from the intellectualization of a process and you can feel your resistance, like you're talking, oh, sorry, the dogs are in motion. You're talking yourself like, so with the, so this guy comes, so we'll just redo this again. So the guy comes up, right, tells me you might be in danger. And so now I have to have a conversation within me. What I want is for it to not be true. What I want is to just hunker down and go to sleep and not have to think about it. What I want is to be safe versus what I don't want to be true is just three scary guys to come up and, you know, beat me up and set the dogs loose and steal all my stuff. But when I won't pay attention to what I don't want because the danger is too scary, and this is the nervous system, this is us freezing up. I don't want to know about it. You know, I went into flight mode because the appropriate thing to do in this instance was not to sit and fight people because three on one, there's no universe. I win that, win that, right? That it was flight. And without accepting that it was my responsibility to face the danger and to take action, uh, if I hadn't chosen to do that, I would still be reacting in my nervous system stress response. I would be freezing up in the face of that information, but it's not the stress response. It's not the danger response that's going to keep me safe in that moment because I am overriding the biology. I'm overriding the deductive reasoning with the fear that I don't want that to be true. So I'm going to shut down. I'm going to freeze up. I'm not going to look. I don't want to know about it. And that, if you can hear that, that is how all of us are getting into trouble all the time. So we'll go back, you know, to what I was talking about, why men are screaming and yelling and not doing anything because they don't, they recognize the danger, but they're more afraid of taking action. And so they're, they're defaulting into yelling, which feminizes them, which makes them angrier, which makes them attack their, the weakness in others because they won't look at the weakness in themselves. You know, women are getting freaked out, so they're getting afraid. And 
and moving more into their fight response, which most women are not wired for danger. Most people are not wired for danger. But when you are pushed into fight mode and you don't want to be there, you're going to be angry and erratic because it's not your comfort zone. You know, I'm comfortable in my fight. I'm uncomfortable in my freeze and and uh flight. But I do both. I do all three like we all do. But my comfort is in the fight. So my instinct is F you, I can take care of myself. The reality is, is no, I can't. Because when little boys with spindly arms can beat up police officers with guns, in which fantasy do I think I'm going to be able to take on three grown men? And that's you know, and, and it seems obvious when it's not happening to you. And I say this because it's so much easier to observe it in other people when they t- choose what they want more than they're willing to listen to the danger. And, you know, we're having that with our border right now. We don't want to acknowledge this is real because we don't want it to be true. And most of us don't know what to do about it. But uh, you know, one of the conversations that's happening politically is, well, we need to pass a law to close the border. I mean, that's, first of all, we have every system in place to close the border. But that's like saying, I have to wait for the, uh, if you're in a community, I have to wait for the community council to give me permission to close my front door so robbers don't come in at night. I mean, that's just so stupid. I mean, it's stupid at levels, it's hard to even imagine we're having this conversation. Like you're waiting for someone to give you permission to close your front door so people can't just randomly come into your house all hours of the day. Strangers, dangerous strangers, right? I mean, when would that ever be a real conversation? But that's how our fear shuts us down. You know, our fear is the signal to keep us safe, but our discomfort with the feeling, the energy, the emotional charge of fear, because we don't want to do anything. We don't know what to do about it, or we've not been taught to manage it, or we don't understand the process itself. Instead of recognizing our fear about our fear, we do this disassociation, or we fantasize, or we just check out, or we do drugs, or we run away, or go to the movies. We do all these things to take ourselves away from the reality of the feeling that we're feeling, which is the stress response, our fear, our anger, our discomfort, our body, that uh, not in your stomach, your anxiety, all this messaging that our biology is giving us, danger, 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 right? Uh, Will, you know, danger Will Robinson, danger Will Robinson, the, the robot is yelling at us and we just turn the robot off because I don't want to know about it. And that was such a perfect moment, you know, when that guy drove up, because first of all, I'm like, you're in my space. And then, you know, I'm being very cagey because I'm uncomfortable and I can see uh, intellectually, I can see, you know, they're probably fine. And after a while, I could calm down a little bit. But, you know, the first thing that runs through my mind is, you know, when I hear a car approaching is... Uh, what am I going to do? And I start going over, you know, all my options. And the reality is if three people charge the car, they could quickly, I hate that I remember this, you could quickly slim Jim the door, you could break the window, uh, you could pull me out, you could beat me up quite easily these days, 
just the dogs would jump out, kick the dogs. Uh, good luck probably trying to find anything in here. And uh, But eventually probably get the car going. <laughs> reorganize all this, throw the stuff out of the car so they could find it. Cause I've got my driver's seat at night, you know, full of stuff. Uh, you know, they could eventually get the car going, but what am I going to do? I can't beat up three people. I couldn't even, you know, if I had an automatic weapon, I probably couldn't get three people accurately before, which I don't, you know, before, uh, you know, any kind of self-defense gun, pepper spray, any of that stuff. I don't really have a way to, to take on three people unless I got lucky and all they would have to do is punch me once. Right. And I'm down because, you know, I'm just not that strong anymore. So that was this huge reality check that completely popped my safety bubble. So for those of you who are wondering, well, what did you do? So I did, I got, I moved, right. The next morning I went and got food uh, and it's the same distance to Quartzsite as it was to here. And so I thought, I'm going to go to the mineral show. I've been meaning to do that. Uh, I drove down to uh, outside of Quartzsite to park and thought, oh, I'll go to the mineral show in the morning. I The energy is so yucky in Quartzsite. Uh, it, what was funny was, uh, and there were so many people, right? And I wanted to physically get out of here because... Uh, I wanted to whatever was happening to pass and I need a little space to make a decision about what I wanted to do next. So I go there and I park in this terrible place with these terrible, it's very rocky. I can hardly walk and I've, my leg is hurt now because when I did my fake run, I hurt my leg. So I'm in pain and I'm limping and, and, you know, I'm stumbling around on these stupid rocks and they're the lava rocks, which are hard on the dog's feet. And I'm, uh, and there's a, you know, and there's no privacy. And so I'm parked, you know, a little bit away from these two guys. And, uh, and then, so the guy behind me is giving me the stink eye. So eventually he pulls out and it's like, I can totally, you know, hear him like, everybody's just too close to me. So he leaves. So I go into my truck for a little while. I come out, two more people have parked right on top of me. And I'm like, I am going to get out of here. I'm the same guy. And so we're, we all have these perimeters, right? Like I need more space around me. So I was so unhappy there and I just didn't like the way the energy feels. And there's so many people out on weird vehicles and walking around and making noise and generators and lights everywhere. And I thought, screw it. I'm not going to go to the middle show because I can't walk very far right now. Those things are my, you have to walk for miles. And so I drove back uh, to the area I have been, but I went to a different place and I, uh, and it's supposed to rain a lot today. So I wanted to park, I, back there I was kind of in a depression. So I wanted to park up higher because, uh, you know, as I said, when it, when you have a lot of heavy rain, it immediately goes into these washes, uh, which is, you know, what I was parked right next to, uh, and funnels and moves very quickly. You can flash flood in 10, 15, I've had people tell me, you know, who've been out here a long time, uh, when I was in Yuma more that within 15 minutes, it completely floods out. So you need to be able to, you know, get in and drive away immediately, which is why I like the truck. Cause it has high clearance has four wheel drive. If there was a flooding emergency, I could, you know, get out much easier, you know, than a lot of these big RV vehicles. So, but I'm parked in this really interesting place that I'm uh, excited about exploring in the morning. I'm, ne I'm much closer to the mountains. I'm kind of on a raised ledge. There's the road is a little bit higher than me. So I'm down about 10 feet and then it's about 
20 feet down into the wash. And so there's not, we're not getting enough rain, you know, to flood up 20 feet, but there's this nice kind of sandy area down there, but there's a guy. So there's three people that are in the distance. You know, I can see them, they can see me, but they're pretty far away. But the closest guy, he walks his dogs and I can see him giving me the stink eye because now he has two big dogs that are barking at my dogs. And you know, so we have, we all have these boundaries about when you're in my space. And, you know, in quartzite, people have no boundaries about their space. They want people close. They feel safe when people are close. You know, people like me and everybody else out here, our boundaries are very wide. Uh, we feel safe when people are far away. Uh, and there has to be this happy medium place about, you know, and so I can see three people, uh, you know, there's a lot of dune buggy things. And I thought, well, you know, if I fall down while I'm out walking in the desert someplace, it is as annoying as these dune buggy people are. Eventually, somebody's going to drive by me and see me laying on the path, right? So there's this balance that we have to find between, you know, safety and isolation. So for people like me who have huge boundaries and need, like in my perfect world, I'd be out in the middle of nowhere by myself. Like that safety bubble got hugely popped the other day. And overall, this is a very safe place. And overall, people who are in the RV travel nomadic community are are very safe. You know, the you can see the difference when you get within walking distance because you, know, you have to remember there's no water. So you can't be homeless or, you know, if you're a criminal without a car, you can't really hang out far from your water source. So you get, you know, once you get a couple miles away from the water source, uh, you're less likely to run into day traffic, you know, people who are just living on the fringes of town and uh, who might be more likely to do that petty theft and that kind of thing. But it is, uh, it was a, it was a huge safety bubble pop. And I thought it was just a very effective way to have this conversation. Again, if you only take one thing, when the danger bumps up against what we want and we're unwilling to give up what we want, there's a fly crawling on my phone. Oh God, there's always at least one fly that I can't kill. So when what we want bumps in with the signals of the danger and we deny the danger because we won't pay attention to the signals or the information of what we don't want to be true. I don't want three people to jump me, but I could have very easily just convinced myself Oh, I'm safe. Oh, the car is safe. Oh, if I hear something, I'll just drive away really fast. There's a thousand ways I could have convinced myself that I was fine. But the thing that really stuck out for me was like this guy went so out of his way so late in the day to come warn me. Like to me, that's a screaming message from the universe. Hello. And if what I wanted was to not have this be true because I'm afraid I can't deal with it. So I just pretend like it's not happening or, you know, I'm convinced I'm some strong macho person that can handle whatever's happening. I'm watching the fly clean its little wings. It's, it's sitting on the phone. That's all lit up. And it's like, so I can see it real clearly Ugh, that this is how 
we get into trouble. This is when we don't pay attention to the signals. This is when our nervous system doesn't fail us. We fail our nervous system. Without the willingness to listen and feel and understand danger that is in conflict with what we want, that's when bad things happen. That's what happens to us individually, and that's what happens to us collectively. Americans want comfort and safety because we want it so much, we are unwilling to recognize the danger that the government and the people powers that run it want to hurt us because we want to believe they want to save us. And it's that fear of looking at what you don't want and taking action when you can. By not taking action when you can, you know, voting them out of office. You know, we should all be, every state should be getting their senators and their congresspeople they should be impeaching them. They should. We should be impeaching every single person and just shut the government down. We would be so much better off with the government unable to do anything than to just be leaving them over alone to do more. They've got this new bill now that's just ever more horrible, right? But we don't. We don't collectively come together and respond to this massive danger. We're just sitting in our houses with the door open, waiting for someone else to give us permission to close it and lock it at night. And that's not going to happen because we have all the power in the world to get up and close and lock the door. And why don't we? I mean, that's the question. It isn't what to do. It isn't what we should do. The question is, why don't we do the very obvious step of locking and closing our front door? It's because what we want is in conflict with what's true and what's happening. And we, and this is at the core of every single conflict that that uh, we're like, why is this happening, right? It's because what we want is to be right. What we want is to be safe. We don't want to look at what's really happening. We just want what we want. And our fear is of what we not getting what we want is greater than our willingness to face the reality of the fear that's happening. And, and so I just wanted to express that um, which I think I did a pretty good job considering everything else that's floating around in my head right now. And, um, it's, it, to me, it was so powerful as an example. And, you know, I had, like I said, I had a conversation with a couple other people and I could really understand how they can't face their fears because we're from, I'm sitting on the outside looking in, it's super easy for me to say, well, you know, you're not, you can't hear me say this, or you can't make these basic decisions. It seems super obvious to me to keep you safe, even though, you know, all people want to be safe. Because when we're in it, we don't have self-awareness. And the cost of self-awareness is the responsibility to do something. So collectively, the cost of masculine 
men self-awareness is to stop yelling and pointing fingers and blaming at everyone and everything is to to work together and get shit done you know for women it is to stop complaining and being angry about being in our masculine energy all the time trying to to fill in the gap is to just stop and to pull back and let it go And what's really interesting about that example I just gave you is I was listening to a man coach talk to women about uh, their feminine energy. And in a one-on-one relationship, he said that exact thing. He wasn't talking about, you know, the whole collective stuff. He was saying, you know, for a woman to keep a man in his masculine energy, she needs to stand her feminine ground. She needs to just set the boundary and say no. And so the example was, you know, on a date... Uh, him saying, where do you want to go to dinner? And her saying, well, you ask me, you pick and not helping him. And as women, we understand it's hard to not step in and do the work because it might be very easy for us to do the work is to just step back and let the chips fall and appreciate whatever efforts he made. Because when we criticize and when we point fingers and we demean, then they collapse, men collapse. And, you know, and that's what's happening to us collectively. We're criticizing and demeaning, uh, but we're not taking, you know, we're not stepping back and allowing men to step up. And it's, it's the masculine energy that needs to step up more so in men because, physically, women cannot solve this problem. And we're not supposed to. We're supposed to work together, but because everybody's angry and insecure and frustrated uh, and in a lot of fear, it's very difficult to have a rational conversation. So I think, you know, the first thing collectively as women we would ever need to do in this situation is to just pull back and let the chips fall. Uh, and, you know, when men are ready to, to stand up, you know, we're seeing a little bit of that at the border. You know, it's very difficult to know how to organize and deal because we're so far down this path. You know, the simple stuff is out of the way. This has gotten infinitely more complex and there's no good outcome because we are in the deconstruction process and everybody's going to be in their hardship discomfort zone, not from failure, not from weakness. Uh, this is just a process that is uh, a cycle and we're in that part of the cycle. So pointing fingers is not helpful. Uh, But where I see the value and the strength, and that's where I'm trying to point myself, is to not get stuck in this part. But my fear is what happens in the reconstruction process. And I don't want women to get buried in the patriarchal hierarchy again. So that's what at the end of all of this, that's what I'm working towards. But like you, you know, when someone pulls up next to me and says, hey, you're in danger, uh, I got to deal with the reality and the practical. I got to deal with how to feed the dogs, right? I got to deal with how 
uh, am I going to focus myself today, even though I have all these ideas about tomorrow? So it's complex. We're in a complex time. We're in a stressful time. Everybody's undergoing some version of hardship, but I don't want anybody to feel like I'm in extreme hardship. I actually have it better than most people. I have a lot of simplicity. I have a lot of privacy. I have a lot of freedom. I don't have a lot of financial obligations. You know, I was trying to tell my mom, there's no difference from, I dropped my stove several times. Luckily, it's still working. But at the time, I'm like, it's much easier. There's no difference than me having to figure out how to hustle up $100 to to buy a new heater stove. Then for somebody who's working full time, you know, their overhead is $5,000 a month. You know, and they're making $6,000 a month, and now they have to figure out how to hustle up $2,000 to buy a stove. There's no difference in that, but the perception is it's harder, but it's really not. I mean, I, uh, you know, it's really not. And so hardship to me is always just, uh, you know, something that we have to look at and make peace with because everybody's got stuff going on. You know, everybody has family stuff and medical stuff and work stuff and fear stuff and living situation stuff. And some of it looks worse because we're not all in the same place at the same time. But over the course of our lives, most of us are dealing with some kind of tragedy at some point that creates hardship. And uh, I, my perception is that to me, mastery is not that I don't have hardship. It's that I can move through it and makes me more empathetic and compassionate to others in their time. Because let's just face it, when we're 20, we're super judgmental and we know it all. In our older years, we've been through a lot, which makes us hopefully more empathic and compassionate because we have been through it all. And we're just in a really particularly difficult cycle and a moment, and we haven't even escalated into the hard part yet. So we got a long way to go. But man, if you can get this when your want bumps up against your fear and and you're unwilling to look at what you fear because it conflicts with what you want, that is your point of safety and danger that creates compromise. And that is what's happening to all of us individually and globally. If you can get that and you can start observing it in others, eventually you'll be able to start observing it in yourself. Uh, There's no easy way out of it. It's just a process and one decision at a time. But to me, that's so powerful in terms of attaining any level of safety is when we finally give ourselves enough self-awareness to look at what we don't want to know. Because to me, that's the key to life right there. Wow, a whole hour. Okay, deep breath, my friends. Oh, 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 I forgot the most important part. Oh, shit, I just activated the dogs. Uh, Actually, no, I'm going to put a different picture up. I have a funny picture I want to show you, but this has been a heavy podcast, so I'll put that up later. Deep breath, my friends. I will see you next time.